Hey, uh, I'm just going to tell you straight up about this episode. This is not some, uh, comic book review or horror movie or some good time shit. This is a, a fucking, uh, a very uncomfortable. <laughs> it's not going to be comfortable for you, man. So if you're looking for that episode, go listen to another one. No one's going to blame you because... This episode will not be for the fucking faint of heart. I'm just going to tell you, I've had PTSD for the last fucking... Well, I've had it my whole life, but I've been getting triggered out for about 36 hours until I finally said, fuck it. I'm going to go ahead and make this fucking episode. <clears throat> so, I'm going to keep the format. And we're going to talk about fucking... What nobody wants to fucking talk about. The repercussions of fucking pedophilism. The repercussions of people not taking fucking action. The repercussions of fucking people like me. I feel like a fucking, uh... A hundred thousand other motherfuckers on the planet. If not more, I guess the statistics are one in four people are raped. Or molested. So if you're at a show or some shit like that or at a big event and you see all these people even walking downtown or whatever and whatever, wherever you're at, one in four people have been fucking raped or fucking uh, sexually molested. When this song came on the air from Pat Benatar, all the fucking censoring assholes were like, no, we can't have that kind of shit. Go back and listen to this song without me talking over it and listen to the fucking lyrics. Pat knew what she was fucking talking about. They just wanted to give her grief. Fortunately, she married a cop. I don't know that was relevant, but her guitarist also became a police officer as far as I'm aware. No one's really going to fuck with her after that anyway. I'm fucking hurting. You're going to hear shit you don't like on this fucking episode. I'm telling you right now. That's not my call though if you like it or not. So I can only assume and that's not very scientific. I brought back Phoenix. Fucking A. She's gonna be the person I get to fucking ran and vent. She'll try to talk some sense into my fucking suicidal, homicidal fucking ass mess. Fuck the FBI. And fuck the fucking police. And fuck people who do not fucking appropriate this shit. No hell is for children. I've been crying. People are pretty careless about how they fucking treat each other, too. I'm gonna let you guys know what exactly kind of fucking illness I'm fucking dealing with. 
maybe you can relate. I don't give a fuck if you do or not, to be honest. What I do care about is fucking getting this shit out on the goddamn board. If we're gonna fucking talk about this shit, I don't give a fuck. This is my show. And I think the fucking law is back-ass words, and I think it doesn't fucking work. That's what I fucking think. I'm gonna fucking bend this motherfucker out today, dude. You're gonna hear some crying, some disturbing shit. It'll be disturbing. I want it to fucking bug you. I want it to. It fucking is. Get ready. Welcome back to Adam Air MDGD and fucking underground cartoon fucking therapy and let's get this fucker rolling. Fucking A. The fucking mental episode, huh? <laughs> oh, man. I wish these tears were crocodile tears. Then they could just eat me up. And I wouldn't have to worry about this shit no more. <laughs> They're pretty fucking real, though. Pain is pretty legit. And, uh... I guess this episode is for everyone, obviously, but... If you can relate to this at all, man... You've had anything... Uh, gone through any... I'm sorry, man. <laughs> If you've gone through anything like I have, which has just been goddamn hell on earth, fucking 48 this year, man, I'm fucking dealing with crimes that were committed fucking decades ago. Oh, man. If you feel like I do, man, this show's for you, because I'm motherfucking, I'm throwing this shit out on the board. I'm sick of it. I don't know whether to apologize to everybody that I've pushed away out of my life over the last seven years. Because that was when I found out about my dad. He died. He died to sleep. <laughs> God. My dad died to sleep. <sighs> and it was a good thing that it happened, man. He, he was not a good dude. I had that episode about he tried to kill Stephen King. That was just like some entertaining little fucking thing for you, you know. But the reality is... is he was, he was he was sick he wasn't he wasn't a good person like that see i tried to get help and he didn't try to get help 
I tried to get him to get help. And I did it while I was fucking at Stanford University. And I was locked up in a fucking mental ward. <laughs> because I found out, I think it was like Father's Day of uh, 98. My kid was two and a half years old and my mom decided... Because she's fucking psychotic, my real mom. Not the mom you heard on here, that's my surrogate mom. I'll be honest about that, she adopted me. Because my real family fucking sucked. And all the family I got now fucking... Are people that adopted me and we adopted each other. And, and my grandma, my mom, whatever she is... I love her. I'll have her back on a show, too, I promise, because she's awesome. She's She loves you guys. She ain't even never met y'all, and I can tell you, man. She's just one of those people that just have a natural love for everyone. She's a good person. She knew I was hurting like this. <laughs> and she took me in. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> this wasn't even that long ago, man. <laughs> you know? She knew I was mad at the pedophiles. She did her time for for hunting pedophiles. You know, she doesn't do that now. She's a, a, a clean person just dealing with a lot of illnesses. You can imagine the kind of regrets that go along with that kind of shit. I'm not going to exploit her like that. She could tell that I had that in me. And I was just so fucking angry. <laughs> oh, fucking hurting, man. I know you guys are out there who hear this shit who can fucking feel like I who fucking feel like I do. I know it's hurting your relationships with people. I know it's hurting your fucking shit with people. This shit is not easy to talk about. <laughs> God, and then people want to fucking dick you around too while you're going through this shit and people are just people man you know they're just gonna do dick shit hold on let me drink some of this fucking coffee man hold on they're just fucking assholes but uh you know when you cross the shit line there is a shit line to me it's just this conscious, uh, line. My dad crossed that fucking line. It's been so embarrassing. <laughs> it's fucking humiliating shit. <sighs> it is really hard to be this vulnerable in front of anybody who'd be listening to this shit. <laughs> I told you it was gonna be fucking be comfortable, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> I'm haunted by this shit. I'm haunted. Yeah, my mom told me this shit in fucking 98 Father's Day. <laughs> oh, you better sit down. You know, before that, I was I thought I was just beaten. You know, I knew my mom was getting beaten shit, but she was getting beaten and raped. <laughs> I didn't know she was getting raped. She told me, though, she told me when I was 25, I was like 24 or 25, 
I just started submitting books to uh, Fanagraphics, and I was drawing really fast, but I wasn't putting any like ink in it or detail in it. And uh, I had connected to this guy named Matt Sylvie, who was working at Fanagraphics, and Matt Sylvie was a good dude. I never really met him personally. We just met through corresponding submission letters, basically. Uh, it was me submitting and him rejecting. None of you guys ever deal with that rejection shit either. I think that's more of a common thing. That might be something that's more universal than the threat of fucking us being violated sexually as children. Rejection is, just seems like that overall thing to me. Everybody going to go through that. If you haven't, there's something wrong. <laughs> you haven't done it right. Uh, but, uh, you know, I was doing these comics all fast, you know. And just pumping out a fucking book, like, in a week. I was really obsessed with Jack Kirby's stylization. But you got to remember, man, Jack Kirby, he really just penciled shit. And there was a team there that worked with him. And granted, half the people that fucking worked on him and inked his shit, violated his original pencils, which were fucking really beautiful in their original form. And then these people come in and, you know, they're hired, and I'm not knocking them, you know, everybody's got talent and stuff, but some people just shouldn't be collaborating with other people necessarily. <laughs> it's not a good idea. <laughs> there were some inkers that fucking fucked up Jack's work, and ironically... Jack Kirby fucked his own work up by inking it. He really wasn't an inker. He was a penciler, and that's okay. There's some Kevin Smith joke about that on that fucking mall rats. Oh, you're an inker? Oh, you just trace? Or you're a tracer? <laughs> and that really is what it is. You're just taking someone else's art, and you're fucking applicating your craft upon it. Whether you brutalize it or not, that's another thing, you know. Everybody's got an opinion about that. You know. I wasn't inking at all at that time. So when I fucking was submitting these books, I was just thinking, like, I want to hit this Kirby status, you know. I want to put this Kirby status out. I want to hit this fucking, I want to do it all fast. And it fucking is cool. And, and people did like my work and shit. But then I really got the real review when I fucking sent it into Matt Sylvie. And I think, you know, when he saw my... My characters, I think, you know, hit just him working and being more refined in the field than I was. And knowing his business and knowing what he's looking for, he saw this thing I didn't see. And he was like, dude, you know, worry about fucking inking and shit. You know, finally, I, uh, I heard him right away and I was really hurt. Like rejection does hurt. I was really fucking hurt. And, uh, you know, I did, uh, a series of books, and I think it was around the third book, things like One Nation Underground, Volume 4, Number 5, <laughs> some stupid number I would write behind, just to fuck with people or whatever, it never really made any sense, you know, I just did it on purpose, but, um, trade secret. You know, by the time I got to that, and he was like, you're improving in leaps and bounds. I can't believe how far you've come. And there was actually uh, this one full flavor. It was called Full Flavor Number 666. 
and I did this one where uh, it was the Scooby-Doo treatment, and Ivan Brunetti had done it. But I don't want to stray too hard, but I did a Scooby-Doo treatment, and Matt Sylvie fucking loved that thing, because I drew him falling through this trap door, and they get impaled by a giant fucking dildo <laughs> that's the size of a gorilla. It basically turns them into donuts because it goes through their butt and out their mouth and they flatten. And then when they all pop off the fucking thing, uh, when they pop off the giant dildo, you know, they all hit the ground and bounce back into form, which is the beauty about cartoons. You can do that shit. He fucking loved, he loved it, man. You know, he loved, he said that was some of the funniest shit he's ever seen. So that was a cool compliment coming out of the house of Fanagraphics, uh, Publisher of the world's greatest cartoonist. <laughs> but uh, right after that, it was Father's Day. I think it was like right after I got that last fucking rejection letter back. And my mom, she decided that it was in her best interest to call me. I don't know if it was on her mind. She was pretty vindictive sometimes, man. Told me to sit down and then told me fucking that my dad was raping my sister between the ages of 5 and 10. I don't know how much further. I think, you know, after that, my mom and dad got divorced, and my mom took my sister. But I think my mom knew about it, you know, already. And what happened was she was trying to tell my family. She was trying to tell her parents first, and they fucking didn't listen. They were like, oh, let God handle it. And then uh, I went and um, <laughs> I think, well, I went and did some investigation later after I'd heard this shit, you know. But apparently she told my dad's side of the family after she told her family and they had her institutionalized. She really wasn't that good of a person before she got <sighs> subjected to that shit. I remember me and my sister were like little kids having to be in the car and going out to these long-ass fucking drives out in the woods to go see my mom fucking looking haggard and this fucking... She was a beautiful woman, man, you know? But by the time my dad mutilated her and me and my sister, you know, we didn't look that great. I think, you know, my my mom and dad were young when they got married. Really young. They were just kids, you know? But, um... That was kind of the enforced thing or whatever. But the whole pedophile thing, you know, I just thought my dad was a violent guy. And it was just beating us. And I never thought, and I would just notice he always hits me and my mom. He never hits my sister. So I saw that when I was a kid. And then later on, you know, there's a lot of private shit for me to dump out. But I'm going to tell you because it's fucking bothering me and I want it to help you, dude. I don't know who this is, who, what man, woman, whatever, you, you know, is listening to this. Whoever you are, I, I hope it is fucking helping me. I'm going to put my life on fucking display so that you know you're not alone or whatever. You've probably been through worse shit. Like I told my uh, adopted nephew Atticus, who I'll have as a guest also later on one of the episodes, but he was like, Yo, man, my shit doesn't even... Because he knows... We are, we both think alike, me and that kid. You know, he's 23. He's tw I call him a kid. <laughs> it's funny, though, but I, I was the same way when I was his age. And he's a, he's a great 
fucking dude. Atticus. And, uh, you know, uh, he's always going to be one of my best friends. I've known him since he was a little kid. I taught him about collecting when he was like five years old. <laughs> now he's 23 and smoking professional smoker. <laughs> and I love him. But he was like, man, my shit doesn't, you know, pale in comparison to yours. I was like, it's not a fucking dick swinging contest, you know? And he knew it too. I was like, it's not up to anybody to tell you how bad you're hurting. Because we're all fucking fragile. You know, my mom didn't take that into consideration when she ended up telling me that my dad was raping my sister on Father's Day in 98. I was dating the chick who did the fucking, uh, who ended up doing the documentary footage for uh, City of God, if you know about that movie. I don't want to go into that, but that's who I was dating, who took the original footage, and then they made it into a movie, you know. She was going to school at that time to become a documentary filmmaker. And, man, she was hot to go. But uh, when that shit happened to me and I was trying to tell her what had happened, she didn't give a fuck, man. She sent me with two fucking Christmas bags and kicked my ass out the door. And that was the end of it. You know, I kind of sat dormant on it for a while. Like, I knew from 98. But, you know, when you hear something so fucking harsh and just realize the shit. I mean, my dad was a violent fuck, man. He beat the shit out of me, dude. I mean, he did fucking things to me that you... Maybe you can fucking relate. I don't fucking know. I don't know who I'm talking to. But if you can, you know, if you know that shit, you know how bad it fucking triggers you out just to fucking think about that shit. The one thing my dad would do would be like, don't ever let anybody fucking call you up or, uh, or call you out, you know. Don't ever let anybody fucking take advantage of you or fucking kick your ass. And then he'd be beating me while he was fucking doing it. You know what you're doing to a kid? Do you understand this thing? <laughs> I don't know what's worse, man. The people fucking doing it. The lack of help for them. While they're sick, out of their goddamn mind, hurting kids. I made this comment on the fucking Libra episode that I did. You can go back and listen to that. That's kind of where this... It's definitely relevant, you know. Libra's re relevant. That was like some exercise of some fucking... <sighs> pain reliever shit, you know. Like, where I was like... I need to become this other person that I can never really be to appropriate revenge fantasy because you can't do it you know if you're a spiritual person you're not really going to go out and act on this shit but you do need some fucking release man and you know half the fucking country's in prison because they don't have any fucking release i got fucking lucky i happen to be a cartoonist right but even now i'm not really drawn i'm doing the podcast because i feel like broadcasting is overwhelming and comics are fucking read online now and it's like, uh, you know, people still buy comics for collectability, much like the way they buy fucking vinyl. And they're both hot, and they're both still out, right? But podcasts, and you talking about some shit like this, I could draw it. It wouldn't matter. You can't hear it. You can only hear it in your head. 
see on the podcast, I can fucking say this shit, and now you know, man. You know the intensity of in which I fucking am delivering this shit. It's not nice. None of this shit's fucking nice. You know, I sat on it from like about 98 when I heard that shit. Came back to Denver because I was in Southern Illinois with my girlfriend, like I said, who I was dating at that time, who did the City of God actual uh, documentary footage about the kids drug running for the mob and shit out there. And uh, in Chile. And um, I was back in Denver, you know, I had to fucking deal with this shit. When, like, the end of 98, 99, somewhere around 99, I got in a brutal accident with my son. And he was five. And that accident kind of fucked our relationship up because I already had this kind of estranged relationship with my kid, unfortunately. Just due to circumstances I'm not going to bust into. It was very fucking abusive, too. And I ended up with a woman that was abusing me for fucking three years. She knows who the fuck she is. I hope she fucking hears this shit, too. She's a fucking evil scumbag. And I got fucking trapped in there, you know? You hear a lot about women getting trapped with men and shit and not being able to get out. That was me. But I wouldn't have even ended up with that fucking bitch if I hadn't been fucking abused by this fucking dick. And it is. It's kind of like you stay in this shit circle. My grandfather was telling me a story about some shit when I was a kid on the island in Carolina Beach. And, uh... I think he ended the story. It was like this really kind of similar kind of like, Hey, this is the, uh, there's abuse in our family. And it was the only time he really talked about it. And he's like, the wheel of shit's got to stop somewhere. That's what he said. He said, the wheel of shit has to stop somewhere. When do you, when does that actually come into congregation? You know, when does that come into fruition? To me, it's like trying to deal with molten lava while it's still in its most heated stage and it's all liquid. It's like you can't do much with it, dude. It's just liquid running over everything and destroying everything it fucking comes across. And then by the time it hardens, it's rock. That's what I feel about the hate stemming from this shit. And the inappropriation of fucking it not being dealt with. You know, everybody knew my fucking dad had a problem. They didn't get me and my sister out of there. My mom only wanted to take my sister about, you know, two years later I was out in Florida. But by that time, my dad had been abusing me, just me and him, after they left for another two years. (sighs) And he was, he was rough, man. And I was just this fragile ass fucking cartoonist dude (laughs) trying to make sense of my shit. I really have a fucked up brain. You know, on one end it's, it's beautiful and it's awesome. And I can do these fucked up ass cartoons. They fucking entertain your ass. If you like that kind of shit, you know, I'm good. I'm good to go. But the price of it is just like, 
like I said, a hundred thousand people who uh, whose art that you like the most, they got a very high probability rate of fucking having been through something as intense as I have. Pretty good rate, you know, because I've produced some prolific ass shit. You know, it really comes from fucking this thing. I've had people ask me. Do you, do you want to be fucked up? <laughs> I think Steph asked me that. I was like, yeah, on some level. Not the one that I'm hurting on right now trying to tell you about. Actual art therapy podcast style. But on this one where it's, you know, in reality, to produce fucked up work, you, gotta, you just got to be fucked up. You got to be a fucked up cat. I was hard on myself for it, too. Taming myself down was under a lot of Christian fucking brainwashing growing up and shit. Ironically, I became a Gnostic. You know, I did that on my own. I I left Jesus. I left the ideas of Jesus. I did not believe. I was like, fuck this shit. I was about as metal as you're going to get the fuck about it. I didn't want to talk about it. If I heard other people talking about it, and you know what, still, I don't want to hear other people talking about it. And I know they're full of shit as soon as they go, have you heard the good word about Jesus Christ? I had one motherfucker come up to me in uh, Southern California and was all like that. It was all, oh, I uh, I did time too. and or I did numbers too. That's what he said. I did numbers too. And I looked at him. I was like, I've never been to fucking prison. And I was like, what What the fuck have you been to prison for? And he goes, well, that doesn't matter. I was like, yeah, it does. Because if you hurt a kid, I'm going to beat your ass down the fucking street. And that's basically how I've been feeling about it. By the time 2003 rolled around, dude, and I had a vindictive-ass girlfriend in Denver who fucking basically turned the scene against me, and I was one of those guys who was into a scene still and into his friends and into this fucking social shit and all this shit. Even though I was like, I always felt like I already knew the reality behind it, but that reality that was in front of me at that time was that I was very intertwined with a lot of people and shit. I pushed all of them away by now. By now I have. But yeah, it was she was definitely one of the dominating forces that fucking ruined my shit. Besides my fucking comic book partner himself. And the whole time I was dealing with that, that was the beginning of the nightmare because I went for about five years after I, my mom had told me about my dad being a rapist. Then I fucking, I fucking had a meltdown. I was working at a dairy... In Denver, this was after the comic book shop, 9-11, all this shit. I'm trying to keep this work up. I fucking did door-to-door fucking Hoover vacuum sales. All kinds of crap. Anything to fucking keep, uh, you know, supporting my son, what I needed to do. And and disability that I was collecting out of Colorado. Those guys were cheap bastards. I was only getting like a few hundred bucks a month. I don't know. It wasn't enough. You have to work. On top of it anyway, even if you are disabled. So, you know, don't talk shit because that's pretty much the reality of it. People are like, oh, you live off the government? It's like, you know, I don't feel bad about that, dude. I was born with PTSD. You know, 
and it's non-military. And I was never a fucking junkie. I've never shot shit. I've never done a line of fucking coke. I'm not sitting here all uppity-uppity about it, but I just never did, dude. I just never had this fucking interest. Ironically, everybody I put in my life up until a certain point, especially by the time, you know, I was a kid too. I was 22 when my kid was born. I was a fucking kid. And, uh, you know, a single gutter punk parent. (laughs) You know, I did the best I fucking could. I don't know. My son doesn't like me anymore. He became a Pentecost. A Pentecostal preacher, everybody's like, oh, I'm sorry about that. I was like, eh. If he wasn't so judgmental, man, you know. He does have the spirit in him, and it runs all the way down my dad's side of the family. I don't know why. Coming out of my grandfather, and his father, and his father. And most of them are bad guys. My, uh, my grandfather ended up being this bad guy, even though he had a lot of this good in his heart. But if you know this crime and you turn a blind eye to it and act like it's not happening for, you know, by the time my grandfather had been turning a blind eye for fucking a long time, about six, when I was 16, that's when I fucking left. And I was working at the seafood joint on the island in Carolina Beach. And I just ended up living in a fucking car. And then I got my own fucking place. Had my own girlfriend. My girlfriend was from fucking Colorado. She was being abused by her dad. He was raping her. And beating her. And she she couldn't get out either. And she went back. And we were both like 17 years old. I fucking was in love with her, dude. She went back to Colorado. I followed her ass out there. She kind of became an asshole. Like a lot of people who have been abused, I found myself the same way. I know there's plenty of people be like, oh, he's a dick. Well, that's what happens. You know. Can I talk to her? No. I don't like her. But back then, I fucking loved her. I fucking went after her ass. Never fucking got to be with her. Always felt like my whole life. I'm always getting cut out. I'm always fucking getting left behind. I don't feel like I'm... I don't feel like I'm there. You know? I hate that feeling of getting fucking left behind, dude. That's unfortunately one of these fucking side effect feelings that you get. When you, uh... Come out of this kind of abuse shit. I sat there after 2003. I had a meltdown at the dairy. They fucking drove me to the front door of fucking St. Luke's. I got fucking 72 hour hold. It was right at the height of the fucking big pharma deal. Unfortunately, I got fucking guinea tested harder. I'd already seen my mom and a few other people in my family who actually did have any kind of medical involvement. Most of them just slipped through the cracks, dude. 
Never fucking went and got help or nothing. I didn't, I didn't want to be that way, dude. I didn't want to fucking be that way. Colorado uh, Homeless Coalition was fucking abusing me, man. I remember it was like my second time in there. And I had been on this shit called Zydiz. And it's a fucking dissolvable form of a pill called Zyprexa. You probably are familiar with it. If you are dealing with any of this shit. I'm sure you know the whole fucking table. Most people do that I talk to. And this shit, right, I mean, like, inside two days, it had made me completely suicidal. I was wanting to fucking kill myself. I was like, no, 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 it's going the wrong way. They didn't care about that. I found out really fast and really the hard fucking way. Especially this bitch getting paid off at the fucking homeless clinic who fucking obviously was getting paid, you know, for fucking pushing this Zydas shit. And you know what that bitch did? When I told her I wasn't taking another one, I was like, maybe you didn't hear me. Because she handed me two more after I told her I wanted to kill myself on the shit. She's like, you can't say that stuff. And here, take this and you're going to feel better. Handed me the same two fucking pills. I was like, you know what? Fuck you. And she fucking got off of her fucking fat ass and had the audacity to grab my throat. And fucking shove, try to shove this fucking Zyda. I was like, you get the fuck off me, bitch. And the security came in. I guess these homeless people in there heard heard it and saw it. And a couple of them got up and started applauding me. <laughs> true, it's true. You can tell they've already been going through it themselves. That's why they did. And, uh... Did another 72 hours. You know, every time I was in there, man, I just felt worse about myself, man. I felt I was sinking. You ever see uh, Requiem for a Dream? You know how that feels? Where it just like one bad thing after another and every layer of it just gets psychologically deeper. I felt like the junkies on there and the mom on that fucking Requiem for a Dream movie. If you haven't seen it, then... I wouldn't suggest seeing it if you have had a lot of bad shit happen in your life and it just seems like it's happening that way still. I do feel like I'm in some weird computer program half the time because I can't even talk to anyone. I can't say shit. I just sound like a fucking dick. And now I'm so goddamn angry. I was like, well, that's natural. Well... You know what's not natural? Not having legal help. Not having these systems there to help you through this shit. And you know, man, there's enough people on the planet to fucking take care of each other. What in the fuck? Seven and a half billion motherfuckers. People are still talking about, oh, Trump and da-da-da-da. You know what? That shit is the least of my fucking concern. Politics is so fucking down the totem pole from the actual shit that I'm fucking dealing with. And it's one of the reasons you like my art so much, too. Because I do fucking keep it out of it. I don't believe in it. You've heard my uh, previous episode, and I'm not even going to go into the detail of it, but if you want to hear what I really think about that, you can go back and listen to the episode Super Watchmen, Nebrew Dicks, and 
fucking lizard fucks, or whatever the fuck. You got the idea. Go listen to that shit. I'm not even talking about that shit here, even though I do believe in it. I'm talking about something very specific here. Side effects, PTSD. Right now, I'm fucking dealing with complex post-traumatic stress disorder. This shit's only been on the fucking board for fucking 12 years, tops. Seriously, even looked at. They don't know how to deal with this shit, man. And you know, I got a lot of friends out there that pissed me off. And it's one of the reasons I pushed everybody away eventually because I kept going to get help. What would happen, this was the running gag line. I'd go get fucking help. And then I'd come back. And I'd be worse than I was before I got the help. And it made me look like I didn't go get help at all. But I had gone to go get fucking help. And no one listened to me. They all, oh, well, something's going to work, too. Everybody's got this fucking idea. And it was just one of the, I, you know, I apologize to Phoenix for not having her out on this episode because I just felt like it was just too personal. And I didn't want anybody cock-blocking me from telling the straight shit. And that's all I've been getting my whole life, even from my best friends, and God bless them, I love them. And we love each other. You know, I love Phoenix. I love my friends, man. But they're not fucking doctors. And the people that are trained to be medical professionals that should be fucking dealing with this shit, they don't. They think that Big Pharma is the way to go. You're going to stick somebody on some pills and da-da-da-da. People aren't even excited to have their fucking job in that field. They're more like Nurse Ratchet or whatever. Have you ever seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? And I hate that movie, especially now. (laughs) But everybody's like, well, it's a good movie. It's like, yeah, but the only reason I I love Jack Nicholson in it, but he's a pedophile. And if you didn't hear how he got fucking locked in there to begin with, go back and watch the pay attention to the very beginning of the movie when he's talking about licking the fucking red beaver on some 15-year-old. That's some pedophile-ass shit. The guy wanted to demonstrate it, and he wanted Jack Nicholson to say it that way, too, so he could show and demonstrate that that's how these guys are. They don't give a fuck if they're kids. They don't care. My dad didn't care. He was a baby raper. Five to ten years old. You need fucking help. My mom tried to get it. And they fucking had her ass locked up. It didn't matter that if she was a good or bad person because she did try. But I think after that fucking shit, she didn't want to try after that anymore. By the time she could just get my sister out of there, I still blame her for a bunch of shit. That's on me. She just wasn't a good person anyway. So that's what made it hard. But she was good enough to fucking know the difference and know that that shit shouldn't be happening. I know that. Even if I don't agree with everything else and that she's a fucking favoritist. Left me in a fucking dungeon. Pedophile fucking dungeon. There's a, well, did your dad ever touch you, Adam? Like that. Like I said, man, he beat the fuck out of me, but when I was trying to get past that shit, you know, and there were some incidents when I was a kid that were weird. It's deep, you know, it's hard to say on this shit. You know, 
there was some evidence that my dad may have done that to me. And it's very possible I blocked it out too, man. You know? <clears throat> I don't know. <sighs> With the way my CPTSD rolls, shit, man. I mean, it's fucking just, just agitated ass shit. It's so agitated, man. I'm not even sure. They had me diagnosed as being schizophrenic while I was in Colorado, but by the time I got to Stanford, Stanford was like, even though we're going to give you Seroquel, and it is generally prescribed to schizophrenics, uh, this is going to be uh, something we give you, but you're not schizophrenic. You're not bipolar. I was like, I'm not? And that's what they told me originally in Colorado. And I had two Vietnamese doctors at Stanford University. You got to remember, man, like how I entered Stanford University. I told you on this one previous episode on the crumb episode, go back and listen to that. I tried to give you a brief on it, but, you know, because of all this violent ass past and shit, it just fucking adds up after a while. You don't want to end up like your parents, you know. I didn't want to end up like my mom being abused by this mental health system. And I, I thought I could trust it at first and I knew I couldn't. And I fucking uh, ended up going to Stanford University because I got accepted into this mad genius program. It was coming out of uh, Harvard and it was coming out of Stanford. And basically what it was was this electromagnetic bipolar research program. And the state of California pulled the plug on it because you can imagine it was competing with Big Pharma at that time. Plus, it probably worked. You know, all polar is is based off the polarity of your brain. If you shift the polarity of it, you'll stop being depressed. They know that. They could do it. People could be 300 people at a time could go for an hour into a gigantic room and just sit there while... Two gigantic spheres flew over their head in the, in an auditorium, and this should just be a free service where you just go and it's just some place with plants and all this other shit that you can kick back and there's a smoking section even you know now that's going to affect you while you have these gigantic electromagnetic spheres going over your fucking head, but they want to pull the plug on the project. By the time I found that out, man, from my associates in Park Slope who were selling my fucking art at that time, and the guy called me up and he said, Adam, there is no program. I about lost my head. I tried to kill myself 37 fucking times inside of a fucking six-month period. And it was because of that fucking chick in Denver and a bunch of other shit and losing my mind, and then you backtrack and you're like, really, it comes from fucking, that's just the fucking forefront because the reality is, is that the problems really came from this shit that happened to you that just has had no resolve. I was like, I'm going to fucking Stanford, man. And you know what? Out of my whole mental health fucking chasing career and having everybody fucking put me down and all this shit for it, you know? That was the only time I ever got any fucking justice was while I was at Stanford. As far as I'm concerned. And I was there for like a month and a half. And I think... By the time I was like about uh, 17 days in, they let me out 
And they sent me to a halfway house in San Jose. And I found a Coke bat on the table and I flipped out. And so when I flipped out, because of the cocaine bat, they fucking stuck my ass in a fucking serious loony bin for 20 hours. And then I got out and I told the dude, you know, after the third time they asked me, do you feel like harming yourself or anyone else? I was like, no, I was fucking totally lying. And they let me out. I went back to Stanford University. And you got to remember, when I got in there, I was dressed like Crack Owl. And Crack Owl is a Grim Reaper. He's just a skull with the fucking cape. I got a guitar on. I put the shit on in the bathroom at the psychology department at Stanford and fucking walked in there. Walked right past these two guards talking about old reruns of Barney Miller or what God knows what. I walked up the hall and there was some kid wearing this insane clown posse shirt. And he goes, oh, you're the Grim Reaper. I was like, I'm the fucking crack owl and don't you ever fucking forget it. And I strung a fucking hard low E on my guitar. And then I fucking growled, which was... You know, something like that. Just for And the security guards came, and they got me. They put me in the fucking uh, handcuffs. And there was this cool gay couple that had picked me up on the, on the ride down there. And there's a huge story of how I got to Stanford in between leaving Portland and going to Stanford. But uh, this cool gay couple, had, they grew their own weed, and they blew their own glass pipes, and the guy, and the guy gave me a... A glass pipe with some fucking nice green fucking nug in it. I forgot I had it tucked in the front of my pants, so when they fucking handcuffed me, yoink, they took that, tapped out the fucking weed. Head of the psychology department came in and said, what organization are you with? Why'd you come to Stanford like this? I'm like, I'm not fucking with an organization. He took off the skull mask, and I was crying behind it. Yeah. This broken kid. Disguised as a grown man. I fucking told him, I'm not leaving until I get a proper diagnosis. He's like, well, you gotta go through the same thing that everybody else does in every other hospital. Before I had left to go on this fucking journey, I called those Park Slope cats and I told them, I'm, I'm leaving, I'm going there. And they were like, don't do it. Don't fucking do it. It's not a good idea. Inside the 11th hour of waiting in this fucking lobby, I could have left. I could have just left. They would have even chased me down. I wasn't in handcuffs anymore. I was on, you know, whatever. I could have left. And the guys at Park Slope, all of a sudden, they were like, No, don't leave. You got this far. <laughs> About an hour later, the head administrator fucking came out. This little prudent fucking asshole of a lady. Whatever the fuck she was. She reminded me of my sister too, man. Just this bullshit, dude. She came in and said, uh, you can't even be here at Stanford. After all this shit happened, she argued me for three hours, surrounded me with fucking security guards. She ended up calling eight counties. And every fucking bed in every mental ward was filled. She came back with a look of defeat and said, I guess we have to keep you. And I was like, I guess you fucking do. And then as soon as I said that, I fucking made a break for it and tried to escape. <laughs> true, it's true. And all the security guards chased me through the the hospital. They finally got my ass and they put me in the handcuffs. 
I spent a month there. I came back a month later after the Looney Bin experience, my first release. And I hadn't had a proper diagnosis yet. That was the thing. So I had to come back. And then when I talked to my doctor, who I had had right before I left Stanford and got the the Looney Bin treatment, and then I came back, and I said, I haven't graduated yet. <laughs> and he said, well, um, you still have a credit with us, you know? And I was like, how does that fucking work? I didn't have any money to begin with. And he's like, I'm not sure, but come on in. Stayed another fucking almost month, man. They finally got it. I had an art therapist. Her name was Sylvia. And she taught me about art therapy. Because I, when I got in, the first doctor they gave me, he sucked. He was some textbook dick. It's kind of like talking to a lot of my friends. Not that they're dicks, but like I said, they're not doctors. They don't fucking know what the fuck you're experiencing. And this guy didn't. And he had the medical garb on, though. I I complained about it. I was like, I didn't dress like a fucking skeleton to get in here just to have this shit happen. And they thought it was funny the way I said it, you know. And they were like, you're a special case. They were like, no one's ever came to Stanford dressed like a fucking Grim Reaper or anything like that. And So we're going to give you an art therapist. How's that sound? I didn't know it existed yet. <laughs> That's how I fucking found out. You know, while I was in there, man, I had been hurting with the fact that my dad had done this shit, this, this pedophile shit. And I remember fucking calling him. I had to call him collect or whatever. Because <laughs> I was in a mental ward. I didn't tell him that part. <laughs> but I sat there arguing him to go get help. I was like, look, it's not too late because I knew he was still doing it. I knew it in my heart. By this time, it had been eight years that I'd known at that point, I guess, it was right around then. Well, 98, 99, 2000, 2001, 2000. Yeah, about two, it was about six years, going on seven years, and it was long enough. I wanted to get this fucking, I wanted to be the one person that gave a fuck about my dad, even though he broke me. Gave me all this fucking self-doubt. I still am self-conscious. I still can't have a decent relationship. Not with friends, not with chicks. You know, you finally just fucking want to give up. Or you got to find people that just fucking are built for it. And there are. That's a hard thing to find. I'm trying to be that person for people, I guess. That's what I'm doing now. I'm not part of the medical mental health association medical board. Fuck those guys. I got out of Stanford and you know what happened? I went straight back to the systems that were fucking me around. Disneyland was over, dude. The only breath I got. And I don't expect people to be like, oh, I'm going to go dress like the Grim Reaper and fucking go to Stanford. It may not go as good for you. I just happened to have lightning in the bottle, man. I, I went by the spirit and just went, dude. I was damned to fucking end up like anybody, especially my fucking mom. Fuck that, dude. No. You know. I've been getting riddled with this shit for fucking ever. There's no systems. There's no systems available. You could take a 
all kinds of health conscious shit, new age shit. But you know, a lot of that, a lot of times that comes with people who are just pretentious and they're misappropriating the fucking health end of it. They're not better than you. And a lot of times it could be even in my head, just having PTSD thinking they're better than me. You still shouldn't be around those guys because it's obviously not serving you. You know? Has this helped me to get this out? Yeah. I'm less fucking stressed out. I'm a little bit more stoned and I got to tell you some of my fucking personal shit. So you... I think the main thing was so that I don't feel alone and you don't feel alone. And don't worry about it if you ain't gotten the help for what you're really dealing with and other people have. Don't compare your shit to them. You don't know what they're fucking dealing with. Just fucking do you. That's what they say, right? Do you. And that's been the hardest thing. I'm hard on myself. You can hear it in this fucking episode. That's alright, though. That's how I get shit done. I get my art fucking done. I get this fucking podcast fucking done. And sit here and talk to you about this shit. Because I have tried to tell all my other friends about it. I figured, why not? You're just a friend I haven't met yet. You know? Now you get to fucking hear me. I don't get cock-blocked fucking trying to tell you this shit because that's half the fucking time someone's got their story. They want, You know, it's just like you got to be able to tell your story sometimes. You need the floor. This is my floor. <sighs> you know, the last fucking... At the end of it, man, I had forgiven my dad by 2006. I had already been out of Stanford for like a couple years. And, uh... I had forgiven my dad. I was working on it. And then at some point, he started talking about what he did to my sister. This guy just re-triggered all this shit. And I mean it like I just said it. That's what he was doing. He was talking about it. Like I was going to be okay with it. Or I don't know what he fucking thought. It flipped me out. Turned me upside down. I couldn't deal with it again. You know? I lost all that forgiveness I've been working on. I really felt bad about it. I think from that point on, I felt concerned about child protection. And it started dragging me out of the cartoon business, you know. And that took my concern. I don't know where I want to end on this note, you know. There's a lot there. But this will be the first one. I think the thing I'm going to say is, if you're not military, if you're not an ex-drug addict, and you don't have a support system behind you, chances are you're really not going to get the right help for complex post-traumatic. I'm not talking about post-traumatic stress disorder. What's the difference? Well, the difference is you're dealing with multiple levels of one incident. A lot of times when these soldiers come back, they're just dealing with one incident that they can't get out of their fucking head. It was during the tour that they were on in the army. You know what? There's a different fucking battle going on out there, dude. It's being overlooked. Kids are fucking missing. No one's doing shit about it. The last five years, 
I fucking called New Hanover Police Department in North Carolina to get them to do a routine check on my dad, who I knew was fucking hurting these people. He was hurting women and kids still. Everybody's like, oh, he's an old guy now. He's not doing... Yeah, bullshit. You didn't know. You didn't know this dude. Don't ever underestimate the power of a fucking predator. They're going to show you wrong every time. I actually started believing some of my friends. Oh, he's not doing that shit. That didn't mean I still wasn't dealing with the problems. By the time I had moved to Hollywood in 2012, I got personal help. I decided, well, fuck the system. I've been getting, I've been dealing with these guys. By this time, they'd already tried to poison my pills in Oakland. They laced my fucking pills in Oakland. I'm going to save that story for another episode. All right, I'm getting the five-minute warning. You can hear it. Bomb's about to go off. Oh, shit. Boink. Anyway, fucking, uh... Dealing with all that shit, I went to go get privatized help. And I had already gone through this fucking huge fucking thing where I dealt with New Hanover Police Department to do a routine check. I was dealing with Summit County, Ohio... Akron, Ohio, where the crime actually happened. The cops wouldn't help me. Called the FBI for five fucking years. No one fucking helped me. You know. Finally, I uh, went to go get privatized help about two years later in Hollywood. And after I'd given up, five years was enough. Some fed told me to go get help. <laughs> That was the end. <laughs> I was already getting help, so that's how much that worked. And, uh, yeah, man, they didn't help me. I finally threw a suicide note up on Facebook, and the Fed showed up. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious, man. All the suffering I had to fucking do, all that shit. And then as soon as I fucking was, like, telling everybody, oh... And everybody's got some shitty response on Facebook, even if they're trying to sound like they're your friend. It's like they're not in your best interest. Chances are that's why they're addicted to Facebook to, to begin with. I hate to say it that way, but it's true. I only use it like a platform to fucking put shit like this up, you know? Otherwise, I don't give a fuck if you want to hear my witty banner and all this crap or what I had and what my politics are and all this other shit because I don't give a fuck. And I don't care. What I do care about is this shit. I told the FBI, hey, go go do a real fucking job, man. And, they, and the one guy's, stay off of social media. He's like 10 years younger than me talking this shit as a federal agent to me. It's like, man, take that fucking badge off for a minute. You know that, buddy? At one point, you know, fucking, uh... <laughs> Oof. At one point, people are going to get sick of this shit. As a fucking whole collective. And I hope it happens inside a very short time here. I hope all these fuses go off at once. And just fucking throws it in the fucking irresponsible faces of the people pushing Big Pharma. These people who cross the shit line. And I feel bad about pedophiles who are suffering. Who refuse to hurt kids. And they're just suffering with it. To you guys I'm just saying. I'm not mad at you. Because just don't fucking hurt a kid. That's all I'm going to tell you. I know you're suffering. 
and I know there's not that much help, hey, I'm right there with you, dude. Not that I'm a fucking pedophile, because I'll hunt a fucking pedophile when it comes down to it. If I ever find, if I ever saw that shit, God forbid. But uh, yeah, I'm gonna leave it on this note. Don't cross the shit line. If you're feeling it, you're gonna have to find ways to fucking not act on it. And if you do act on it and you're just some careless fuck, like my dad was, you hear that silence. Let that be a tacit of what you fucking think I'm thinking, because that's exactly what I'm fucking thinking. I'm going to wrap this fucking shit up. I got to listen to this now, man. Hopefully it came out all right. And hopefully you're all right. And I do feel better telling you. And this ain't the end of this shit. I'm going to keep on talking it. But for now, I'm going to give it a break. Hours are long enough. And it was just enough to fucking wear you the fuck out. Because it just wore me out. I'll be back.